about you guys, but I do not want to give Satan any more room than he's already got in my own heart. I don't want to give him tools to hurt my life. And you don't want that in your life either. I think of Charles Spurgeon who said it this way, the grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. Wow. Sin is serious. Totally serious. How seriously do you take sin? If you look at the condition of the church today, it seems that most followers of Jesus either wink at sin as if it's a joke or don't even try to excuse it. They do whatever they want. Pastor Daniel will teach today how sin looks like from God's viewpoint. You're going to learn that God has a zero tolerance policy towards sin and he expects his followers to do the same. You'll find out how to begin to do that today. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the book of 1 John chapter 3 as he continues his message, God is Pure. The Apostle John is very clear with the reality that a righteous character expresses itself in righteous conduct. A righteous character lives out in righteous conduct. A good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. And so we need to ask the Lord, Lord, help me to deal ruthlessly with the areas of rebellion in my own heart. Listen to Jesus in Mark chapter 9, verses 43 to 48. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it is better to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell and to the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. That's what Jesus said. Gentle, loving, self-sacrificing Jesus said, if your hand calls you to sin, cut it off. If your foot calls you to sin, cut it off. If your eye calls you to sin, pluck that baby out. Now listen. Is God a God of amputation? No. Because you know what you'll find? For people who removed themselves from the world and lived in little four-by-four cells where they only got their food through a little blip in the door, just enough food to survive. You can read their journals. They say they're, they're just racked with sinful thoughts in their heart. What Jesus is saying is he's saying that we need to deal ruthlessly with our sin. Don't play with it. Don't make nice with it. Don't find a way to placate it. You get radical and you say, Lord, in Jesus' name, I'm cutting stuff out of my life. That is the way God asks us to deal with our own rebellion because he knows that, as John Owen said, you're either killing sin or sin is killing you. 
And you can ask our veterans who are here at the church or people who are out right now at war. You don't play around with the enemy. You don't make friends with them. You don't make them tea. You get out of there because life is in the balance. And I am sure, I mean, let's be honest, in all of our lives, it's so easy to make nice with rebellion, right? It's so easy, like, well, it's just my thing. And we rationalize, that's just the way, what I do for fun, or that's just my stress relief, or that's just this, or that. It's not really that bad. Brothers, sisters, it is killing us. And Jesus died to take that away, and also says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So, brothers and sisters, let's get ruthless with our areas of rebellion. For you guys, you can't be on the internet without sinning. Man, you need to get away from the computer. Chuck that baby out. You don't need it. It's amazing when we remember that the world went on before email and the internet. I mean, things worked. If you can't handle it, then you shouldn't be anywhere near it. Because life and death, I mean, imagine in my house, if there's a bomb there. There's a bomb in my closet. I'm just like, hey, let's, fam, let's just hang out. Let's have a picnic. We'll make s'mores. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's not really going to blow up. Who wants another s'more? Mm, I love these s'mores. I like it when the marshmallows are nice and warm. No, what do you do? You get your family out of there, right? And you get everybody around you out of there. Why? Because death is permanent. So brothers, sisters, we need to deal ruthlessly with our sin. We need to not play around. We need to not pass go. Don't collect $200. Don't make jokes. Deal with it. As much as the knobs are on your side of the wall, and you know what's interesting with rebellion? Almost all the knobs are on our side of the wall, aren't they? God has done everything rather than imposing robotic perfection on us. He has done everything that needs to be done on his side of the wall. We need to deal with our side of the wall. So whatever your area of rebellion is, whatever that thing is that could cause you, and we all have them, to live a lifestyle of continuing on in sin, we need to deal ruthlessly with it. And so, wife, if you see your husband's laptop in the garbage when he gets home today, just pray for him. Don't judge him. Don't berate him. Just pray for him. If all of a sudden certain channels are banned on your TV because The wife can't not watch something that she shouldn't watch. Boom. If you go home and say, look, I got to get a new job. My job is not safe. I need you to monitor these emails. Whatever it is, just be gracious with one another and encourage and pray for one another. It's too important. It's either killing you or we are killing it. I don't know about you guys, but I do not want to give Satan any more room than he's already got in my own heart. I don't want to give him tools to hurt my life. And you don't want that in your life either. I think of Charles Spurgeon who said it this way, the grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. Wow. Sin is serious. Totally serious. Now look at verse 10. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life, 
because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. These verses teach us that purity is a family affair. Why? Because in these verses, and we already started seeing the beginnings of it in verses 4 to 9, we get this reality that there's a contrasting between the children of God and the children of the devil. We see it right there in verse 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Now, what that means is there's really only two families that you can be a part of. You're either the Lord's or you're the devil. Now, what that means is some people... They're the devils, and they're all the way the devils, where they're into killing animals and people, and they want just havoc and anarchy and all this crazy stuff. And so they're Satanists, right, on one level, and then you go all the way over to someone who's just a good moral person but refuses to put their faith and trust in Jesus. Guess what? That puts you in the children of the devil category. You're just a respectable-looking one. And then on the other side, there's the children of God. Now you might say, I can't believe this is in my Bible. Listen, in John chapter 8, verses 37 to 47, Jesus himself calls people the children of the devil. Gentle, loving Jesus, Jesus who died on the cross, the ultimate teacher and prophet, no matter what religion or irreligion you find yourself in, everyone tips their hat to Jesus. Jesus called people the children of the devil. So don't get mad at me. I'm not making this stuff up. This is what Jesus said. We have two options. It's a family affair. That old Sly and the Family Stone song. It's a family affair. Purity is a family affair. You're either the children of God or the children of the devil. Notice the distinction. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So the children of the devil are made manifest by practicing unrighteousness and not loving people. That's where you see you have a choice. You either live rightly as inspired by the Lord and love people or you choose not to love people. And most of us choose not to love people by loving ourselves instead or we live however we want. And notice verse 11, very clear. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another. I've said it A lot of times, I'll keep saying it, because it always pops up in the Bible, loving people is the hardest thing to do in the world. It's the most reckless, treacherous, terrifying action that you can choose. It's the most adventurous. When you say, look, I'm just going to love people. Why is it so terrifying, reckless, treacherous? Because people are hard to love, right? And you know what's interesting? I'm hard to love too. See, When you choose to love, you choose to give up the things that you want for the betterment of somebody else. And that's terrifying. Because we always think, well, if I don't look out for myself, who will, right? Isn't that what happens? If I just love that person, who's going to look out for me? And you know who's going to look out for you? The Lord will. And that's a game changer, brothers and sisters. That is a game changer. Because where we can't get it done, we trust God who will get it done. And God has your back when you love self-sacrificially. So you can either have your own back and not love, or you can let God have your back and love recklessly, extravagantly, without any qualification. Notice he gives an example in verse 12. The Cain example, not as Cain, 
who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. You can read about Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 4. Cain killed his brother Abel because God accepted Abel's sacrifice and not his own. So the choice between the children of God and the children of the devil, between hatred and love, life and death, murder and self-sacrifice, was with man in the beginning, all the way in Genesis 4, the children of the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, and it still exists today. Whose child are you? Whose family do you find yourself in? Notice verse 14. And we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. I like that. That's how we know when you love each other. That's how you know. When you love unlovely people, that's how you know you've passed from death to life. Now, verse 16. By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Brothers and sisters, love is an action. And don't get me wrong, love is an emotion as well. But when you feel the emotion of love, it's easy to act on it because you feel it. But when you don't feel it, you should still act on it. It's like when you feel the love of God, it's easy to worship, right? It's easy to be like, oh, Lord, you love me. I can't believe this. You died on the cross for me. How amazing is that, God? It's easy. But when you feel like you're in a valley, that's when we choose to, with the eyes of faith, look at the cross and say, I know that God loves me because Jesus died on a cross for me. Greater love is no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends, Jesus said. So when I feel it, I worship. When I don't feel it, I behold the cross and I choose to worship. So when you love somebody, then you just act on it. You care about them, but it's when you don't feel it, that's when you remember you still need to act on it. The Bible teaches four types of love primarily. Eros, which is erotic love, it's physical Erotic, sensual love. Storge speaks of familial love. The love between a parent and a child or between family members in general. Then, of course, you have phileo, which is brotherly friendship or affection. Philadelphia, of course, is the city of brotherly love. Now, growing up in New Jersey, we can dispute the reality of that. Especially as a Giants fan and a Yankee fan and all these things, it's... there's. I have a great story. One day I'll tell to you about me and my grandpa almost getting arrested at a hockey game, but that's a whole other discussion. (laughs) The New Jersey Devils against the Philadelphia Flyers. I was like seven. It was great. (laughs) They actually moved us down. Never mind. I don't don't have time. (laughs) If you're in here from Philly, I still love you. You got great cheesesteaks too, so don't, not knocking it, but... Phileo is brotherly affection. And then finally, of course, there's agape, that's self-sacrificing love. That's the love used here. By this we know love, that self-sacrificing love, because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Wow. Jesus loves us, gave up his life for us, and we also ought to do that for one another. Brothers and sisters, let's do an experiment Coming up this week, 
Every opportunity we have to lay down our life for somebody else, let's choose it. Every opportunity we have to bless somebody in Jesus' name, let's just do it. I mean, what will God do? What will happen? I don't know. But if it says that he died for us and laid down his life for us, and we also ought to do it, so let's ought and do it. Let's just ought and do it. And verse 17, it's a rugged verse. It's one of my favorite nasty verses of the Bible. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? That is a nasty one, isn't it? The idea of having the world's goods, it means the necessities of life, like food, clothing, and shelter. If you have them, right, and you see your brother has need and you shut up your heart. See that? That's why we don't act in self-sacrificial love, because we shut up our hearts. Rather than opening our hearts to people, we close them. We have the goods, we have the means, however, however skimpy or small, but we choose to, no, 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 no. John says, if that's you, how does the love of God dwell in you? Because the idea is that if you can't give and you already have the necessities of life in such simple, practical ways, then how can you ever expect to actually give up your life for somebody? And what's interesting is that it's harder to love people in simple, practical, tangible ways than it is to be a martyr. Because martyrs, one fell swoop. Some of us think that's kind of a heroic thing. And we just go out in a blaze of glory. If you're going to go out, might as well go out that way. But it's where the rubber meets the road is in the simple, practical ways. I think of John 15, 12 and 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, but to lay down one's life for his friends. Verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I like that. Love is not sentimental. It's not just, I love you, bro. A little pound. It's in deed and in truth. Look around this sanctuary for a second. Look around. Some thousand people here. Imagine if all of us go out and say, I'm just going to take those little opportunities to give love now in simple, practical ways. Just the little things. Could you imagine the conspiracy of love that we can begin in this place? Listen to C.S. Lewis. It is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. That stabbed my heart when I read it. You know why? Because I think sometimes as Christians, we love everybody, but we really don't love anybody. We know that the gospel says we should love people, but when push comes to shove, we love people in a general sense, but we love nobody in particular. And I said to my own, like, I was convicted. I'm like, is that me? I just say, yeah, I love you. I love everybody. But when push comes to shove, where am I? When do I show up? Man, brothers and sisters, let's get radical in loving people in action, finding ways to bless. And now, verses 19 to 24, and by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. 
And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Real belief involves assurance and action. Notice verses 19 to 21. It all speaks about the idea of assurance. We know that we have the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Do you have a settled confidence? Have you been persuaded? Have you been pacified that you are God's? Even if your heart condemns you, even if you're hearing the word, be like, I've fallen terribly short. When your heart condemns you and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, God is greater than our hearts. That even though we realize our failings, we realize that God is greater than our failings, that we are more than conquerors because of the finished work of Jesus. And our assurance comes primarily from the fact that God already knows about us and he still loves us and that God knows all things. How awesome is that? If you are in here today, you put your faith and trust in Jesus. I want to tell you, be confident, be assured. Even when you feel convicted of your sin, which we should all feel on a daily basis, God is greater. God already knew everything about you. He still loves you. And that's so awesome. That's so empowering when we realize that God knows it all and he still loves me. But not only that, do we have this assurance, but real belief involves action. Look at verses 22 to 24. For whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. By this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Real beliefs involves action where the rubber meets the road. We keep his commandments. We do those things which are pleasing in his sight, just like Jesus. Listen to John 8, 28 and 29. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the son of man, then you you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. But as my father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Our faith in action pleases the Father, just the way it did in the life of Jesus. And I want to close with a simple exhortation from verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Brothers and sisters, believe in Jesus and love one another. Jesus is... In Pastor Daniel's teaching about loving other people, he reminded us that when we have trouble loving others, it's because we're too focused on loving ourselves. That was hard to hear, wasn't it? But it's true. Since God commands us to love others, we were reminded that God can give us the strength to set our own desires aside and work for the betterment of the people around us. They need to know about God's love too. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just wanna say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. 
I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just click on Give. Thank you for partnering with us. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel begins the series' final teaching called God Is Life. You are going to hear about the importance God places on human life. You'll be reminded that He values human life so much He gave His only Son for their redemption. Pastor Daniel is going to show how this characteristic of God is supposed to be displayed by Christians in their daily lives. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called God Is. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.